Welcome to the Gamers Tavern, episode 45. This episode, we're talking about gaming films with some amazing guests. So grab a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner, and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. The Gamers Tavern podcast is sponsored by Pinnacle Entertainment Group's Savage Worlds game, featuring Deadlands, 50 Fathoms, East Texas University, Weird Wars, and dozens of fantastic licensees. Savage Worlds is fast, furious, and fun. Hello and welcome to the Gamers Tavern Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Watson. And I'm Daryl Mott Jr. And tonight we have with us three great guests who are all involved in making movies around or about gaming. We have the lovely and talented Jen Page. Hello. We have Mr. J.R. Rawls from the Dark Dungeons movie. Thanks for having me. And Stu Paul from the new release, The Lord of Catan. Greetings. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for for having us. Well, one thing we do here on the Gamers Tavern is we always want to know more about you as a gamer in the framework of a gaming character sheet. So, uh, Jen Page, oh boy. what is your Hi. gaming character sheet like? <laughs> oh, geez. Um, well, it's very old fashioned. I'd say it's very much still on paper because, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I wouldn't call myself a purist, but I do love, uh, first edition D and D with, nice. uh, some second edition modifiers. I also love uh, Call of Cthulhu. Uh, I'm one of the. I don't. I don't know how many people are still out there playing Alternative. I still. I still play Alternative when oh, I have yeah. the chance. And uh, I love Paranoia and uh, the game, not not the state of mind. And um, <laughs> computer is your friend. Yeah, I love to play um, Half Elf Thieves, and uh, so I appreciate you are an elf. <laughs> I know. Don't tell anyone. Very excited about this predicament. And uh I I value high dexterity and trickery and I've been told I have a high charisma. So uh that's me. And and we would know you or our listeners would know you from that's, things that's such ve- as Gamers very much know me from uh Dorkness Rising, Dead Gentleman's Dorkness Rising. Um I just this past weekend, someone was like, "This might seem crazy, but are you an actress?" And I'm like, "Yes, you have, <laughs> you have seen Darkness Rising, as well as uh, Journey Quest uh, season two. I'm in that as well, and um, that kind of encapsulate the big core interest of the gamer type interest genres that I'm in. Well, you're also leaving out the amazing costumes <laughs> that you make and do. Very true. <laughs> no, well, I was speaking specifically for film, but I do uh, a lot of uh, cosplay and I do a lot of uh, costume creations and things like that. And I love to post that online. I'm very active in, in social media and I really love to interact with the geeks and the gamers and just goob out about anything that's you know makes our heart pound at the moment i myself am a huge fan of yours jen i think you did a fantastic job in gamers 2 dorkness right and i thought you did a great job at the emmy awards this year at gen con where you were one of the presenters along with tom lommel that was a lot of fun i came up with the mad libs idea that we did at the beginning and everyone was game and good spirits and uh that went off really well i haven't watched uh the clips Online, it's kind of funny to, it's weird. I don't want to watch, um, 
myself in a live event, but I'll watch my movies just fine. <laughs> but uh, that was a lot of fun. And when you mentioned my costuming, I I had made the Kraken dress to wear to co-host that. And so, yeah, always taking myself seriously, I put a Kraken on my butt for, for that for that show. Nice. <laughs> now, Mr. J.R. Rawls, I have to ask, is it is it bad? Is it like wrong for me to ask to describe you, uh, to ask you to describe yourself in the form of a character sheet? Would that be <sighs> well? Immoral? Well, I, I'm not sure if that would really be proper. Um, I can tell you that a bit about my history. Uh, I first discovered uh, the evilness of RPGs uh, in college when I encountered uh, Jack Chick's Dark Dungeons track, uh, which I learned, and I'd never knew this before reading the track. Uh, that RPGs led to real-life magical powers, uh, joining satanic cults, and uh, suicide. I had no idea that happened with RPGs until I read it in that Jack Chick comic. And when I encountered that comic, I knew someday, someday, I would make a film out of it. And <laughs> it took 15 years, but 15 years later, I uh, managed to turn it into the live-action film uh, that premiered at Gen Con. And I was really worried that the Gen Con audience might not get the true message of Dark Dungeons the movie, but I, I can say that the true message of Dark Dungeons the movie went over great with the Gen Con audience. Yes, I, I am also a fan of, of the movie. I thought it was very well done. And I did receive the true message because you know, I was getting close to level 8. <laughs> you know? And, and that is the, the most real common thing. I've, I've heard dungeon uh, masters who say they won't allow their characters, uh, their players' characters, to get to level eight because they just don't want to give them the real power. It, it is a dangerous game to play. And I am so glad that you were here to documentarize uh, all of that, that great information from the Jack Chick track. Thanks. I tried my bre- best to uh, bring it to life on the screen. And I must I say that the entire job. tone and everything else involved in Dark Dungeons really captures what most people see in the Chick track. Agreed. You you are too kind, too kind. Uh, now, Mr. Paul, can you tell us about yourself in the lens of a gaming character sheet? Um, well, I am uh, the multiple-time Lord of Catan and Starfleet Admiral, Admiral of Catan. <laughs> I uh, am a level eight uh, daimyo in the shogun's army uh and uh then basically though my history really comes from uh star trek gaming i was so cool that i would play both sides of the star trek customizable card game against myself Um, (laughs) i had the whole bridge crew and i was the only person in a hundred mile radius that played yeah, it was, it was kind of tough to find people. In terms of kind of RPG gaming, uh, back in the CompuServe days, uh, we used to do simming, uh, which was essentially Dungeons and Dragons, but with Star Trek. So I did that. Uh, and you know, if I was out somewhere, I had to be back at my computer, you know, to get that going. Are you and a then, Vulcan? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I go through Ponfar every uh, seven years, so. <laughs> now, He's a Vulcan, I, I have to I'm ask. an <laughs> I have to ask. I, I know that uh, medieval RPGs teach you real-life magical powers. Does 
Star Trek RPGs teach you how to fly a real spaceship? Uh, science. Yeah, I mean, you get all the appropriate skills. Yeah, wow. you can. It's it's a pretty sweet deal. It really is. You can uh, learn how to reverse the polarity of the uh, tachyon pulse and through the main yeah. deflector dish. Yeah, yeah, you always, and then Hyal engineering and yeah. And, I think uh, I've been wasting my time with the wrong system. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever uh, dealt with the wrath of Catan? Oh God! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought uh, I'd I grown an immunity to your puns, Ross, but that one hurts. I would say I, I've been victim to the wrath of uh, my of Catan from my wife multiple times. So, yeah. <laughs> well, whenever I play Catan, I always have wood for sheep. You've got to. Uh, Stu, did we leave, lose you there? No, I'm I'm still here. No, okay. I, I was just I was just getting wood for sheep myself. Um, <laughs> but uh, I also just. Uh, have a big uh, video gaming background mainly. Uh, you know, I I was always Death Incarnate in Wolfenstein. I was a big fan of Time Splitters, Gladius, uh, Lemmings, Sim City, Dragon Warrior, uh, Mist and Riven. So, uh, oh, Gladius, yeah. man, that was the LucasArts film. That was the LucasArts game that nobody remembers except us, it seems. Yeah, which one? Gladius. It was for the original Xbox, and it features some amazing voice acting. It was a brilliant uh, turn-based strategy game. It had a great story. It was by Lucas Arts, uh, so we're talking about you know a big a big studio, and it just didn't nobody nobody even knew it was out there. It, it's got like uh, gladiators, except with fantasy and magical elements in it, right? Uh, that would be a good way to think of it. Yes. Yeah. Cle- clearly immoral by uh, oh by yes, 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 yes. <laughs> but but enjoyable during my wayward days. If you will. Uh, also leads you know the people who play it to feed Christians to lions, so very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you also made a movie very recently, uh, haven't you? Yes, uh, it's called The Lord of Catan. It's about a husband and wife uh, based on real events who. Just kind of get into a crazy match of uh, settlers that plunges them into a vortex of madness and destruction. Wow! So it's a it's a kind of like Dark Dungeons, but it's a movie about the dangers of board games. Yeah, it, it's really a public service. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I saw the trailer on the Kickstarter, and it looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. Oh, to thanks. Uh, yeah, we got Fran Kranz and Amy Acker from. Uh, all those uh, Joss Whedon joints to be in it, they uh, just turn it up to 11. Uh, well, so it's it's really cool. And I've got to say, it's absolutely amazing. So, And the actor, of course, was the voice of the Huntress in Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Probably the best interpretation of that character that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. She was on Angel as well. Oh, yeah. She's like so, my favorite right. character on Angel. Sorry, yeah. I digress. <laughs> Uh, the next thing after we do our gaming character sheet, we talk about what we've been playing lately. And I, I'm going to assume that, uh, Mr. Rawls, do you play games at all? I mean, like, not, obviously not, you know, role RPGs. Obviously, I don't play DRPGs. But yes, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with a rousing game on Monopoly. Ah, there we go. <laughs> a classic. <laughs> uh, what about you, Jen? What have you been playing lately? 
Oh, gosh. You know, I always say I wish I could game more. It is so hard to find that time. And then, you know, the older you get your gaming groups to get together, it, it just becomes harder and harder. It's just such a challenge. But uh, I do find myself playing some Numenera. And mm-hmm. um, Call of Cthulhu is definitely on my mind right now with October coming up. Oh, yeah. It's a classic for the Halloween uh, period. Yes. I absolutely, I just, I just love Cthulhu with the atmosphere and, and all the investigation work and just the, the simpleness of the game mechanics. It's just, it's just a lot of fun. We actually have an episode about, uh, horror games and we talk a little bit about, you know, the atmosphere and, and things like that. And we, I think we do briefly talk about, uh, Call of Cthulhu as well. So mm-hmm. if you're out there listeners and you want to know more, uh, check our, uh, our backlog. Anything else, Jen, you've been playing? Just some mobile games. I I can't put down threes yet. <laughs> but oh God, um that's so addicting. I, right? I don't play threes, but I play um is it a ten twenty four or it's a, it's a three, it's kind of a threes knockoff, but it does mm-hmm. powers of two. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those games can just be so sticky and you always have a moment, right? Oh, I'm in the elevator. Oh, you know, I'm I'm waiting for my burger. You know, it it's it's just to have a mobile device right there. It keeps me in touch with the short burst games anyway. Uh, what about you, Stu? What have you been playing lately? I have been uh, rocking the Star Trek Catan most recently uh, with some new friends. The thing I uh, have been addicted to for a while now is uh, Pixel Junk Monsters, which was a downloadable game for PS3. Uh, you play this little like tiki guy who goes around and dances on towers <laughs> Uh, to upgrade them and nice. like he, you make your like arrow towers more powerful and cannons and stuff. And you just have to fight this continuous onslaught of monsters. Uh, and it's really addictive. Fire Emblem uh, is another oh, game wow. I've been playing. Yeah. Oh man, you and I are on the same wavelength when it comes to <laughs> uh, certain types of games. That's for sure. Destiny. I uh, have been uh, getting into that. That's a pretty, uh, Fantastic uh, first person. And then mm-hmm. just uh, on the tabletop, uh, also Takenoko Pandemic. I haven't played this yet, but I did just pick up Takedo. Oh, you're going you're gonna to love it. Sweet. I just started uh, playing Pandemic on the iPad, and mm-hmm. uh, that is a fantastic uh, device for board games. I know I'm not new saying that, uh, <laughs> but it just speeds up the play. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're like me, it's hard to get people together. Uh, but it's so much easier to do play by email essentially on that thing. It's it's a wonderful device. Play. Yeah, exactly. And and it really helps with the setup and breakdown. I found. <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I always played uh, Settlers of Catan on the iPad before getting the actual board game, because uh, you know you can play with uh, just two players on it and have the computer fill in the other slots. So that's actually where also the core idea for uh, the Lord of Catan movie came from. And uh, when it came time to shoot it, uh, for a number of reasons, uh, we decided just to keep it on the iPad uh, rather than trying to recreate the board game. Very cool. Uh, Daryl, what have you been playing lately? Um, I have still been working on trying, trying, trying to get people together for Pathfinder Adventure card game, and it's really hard. Uh, So I've been basically playing... By myself, 
that game. Thankfully, there's a one-player mode, but it's just not as much fun when you're not around a table with people playing the games. Uh, as for me, I've been playing uh, a lot of Star Trek Online recently. Uh, the De- Delta Rising expansion is coming up really soon, and they got the whole Voyager cast to come back and do voice acting for the MMO, so I'm excited about that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've been playing... Yeah, I figured you would like that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything where I get to play Seven of Nine, I'm all over. Oh, yeah. uh, do, do you play Star Trek? Needs to be alone for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> do you play uh, STO? No, actually, I haven't gotten into that one uh, yet. That's like the only one of their uh, kind of computer-based games that I, I haven't checked out. Okay. Well, you you might get a kick out of it if you like Starfleet Battles or... Uh, any of that stuff, because the, the ship combat's just amazing. Cool. On top of that, I've been uh, been running my D&D 5th Edition Birthright game uh, here in Colorado, and that's been going really, really well. And, uh, let's see, we've been playing a lot, of course, uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse, which I just cannot get enough of that game. Uh, <laughs> it's an amazing uh, card game. And I, I can't wait to see what else these guys are doing uh, from uh, the, the company that makes that. I forget the name of it, but they they are just a great group of guys, and I'm I'm so excited about their their future stuff. Okay, uh, <clears throat> so we've oh, talked. Sorry, about... one more plug. Can I make? Not for Absolutely. my thing. A game I have been playing recently uh, has been with my four year old daughter. Uh, it's called Robot Turtles. Oh. I, I got it off of Kickstarter a long time ago. Uh, what it is, is it's a way to teach programming uh, to uh, toddlers and little kids. Oh, I saw this when it was a Kickstarter. It was, cool. it was. It was like one of the biggest Kickstarter board games, and it just exploded. And I got it, and it's everything I could have hoped for. Uh, it, it's very simple programming, obviously. It, it's a great way to interact with uh, little kids. If If you're like me, you're a dad. And uh, you've got a little one. You want to be able to play with them, uh, but you got to play at their level. And this is something mm-hmm. that you can have fun with, and they'll have fun at the same time, too. So uh, people should check it out. Now, correct me cool. if I'm wrong, but it doesn't actually teach programming. It doesn't teach you a language. It just teaches no, the sort of the, logic that goes into the code for programming. Exactly. Thank you very much for that clarification. Yeah, it, it doesn't teach you Java. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, your, your kid is not going to be getting a, a day job after a few games, uh, but it does teach you the logic and the systematic mindset that goes into programming, which is an important first step for a kid. Okay, so the next thing we talk about after what we've been playing lately is we have our thing called the Tavern Tales, and in this bit, we like to ask our guests uh, for a memorable die roll from a game of that they've played lately. Actually, we might start with Mr. Rawls, though, and ask him instead, you know, just him specifically... If there was a particular RPG that he observed that got him onto his, <laughs> started him on his journey towards the uh, the movie that he made. Ah, uh, yeah. Let me think about that one real quick. Can you come back to me in a bit? I, no, we'll, I just we will. To... We will come back to you. But I thought I would make sure that you I'm had. I'm kind your... of curious if his uh, tavern tale is going to involve an entire club full of goths giving a standing ovation. <laughs> That's it's possible because RPGs are very popular in college. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, we've all been popular. to those RPG raver parties. I mean, that was what my fraternity experience was like. You know, That's how they get you involved in the first they, place. First taste is always free. Uh, but Jen, do you have a, a memorable story you could share with us about a die roll? Well, yeah. My general comment is it's really funny how at a critical plot point there seems to be 
that critical die roll that's either a critical or a complete fumble, and it completely turns the story, and you can't imagine it not having happened, but it was total chance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one favorite story of mine is we were playing a 3.5 D&D campaign. It was all dungeons, no monsters. It was all traps, and I was the rogue. And I always play chaotic neutral. It's it's not a big surprise. <laughs> it's not a big surprise. I play chaotic neutral, and throughout the campaign, I was starting to get really bored because it was trap after trap, and it was all about me fixing the traps, so, you know, and and searching for for traps just to uh, save the party, so I could split the loot with them, right? So at mm. one point, I rush into a room. I've been told there's a ring there, and oh, and since let me back up, since I was bored, the DM had for some reason, giving me these boots of hovering, which were, were very helpful for a rogue. But I was hovering around like a Powerpuff girl the entire <laughs> campaign. <laughs> so I rush into the room, sick of traps, hovering. I grab a ring. I'm like, I love it, yoink. And the floor fell out on the rest of my party from no. my fumbling die roll. And they fall into this gaseous pit. And I was fine because I was hovering the entire game. Wow. And so no one was happy with me with that <laughs> wow. die roll or or my chaotic attitude at that point. That is a great story, though. Yeah, I am amused. I'm amused to this day. I, I really think you missed a great opportunity if you didn't just shout down at the chasm. Sucks to be you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I eventually helped them, but, you know, threw them a rope, but. Because it's funny how you're always carrying a hundred feet of rope. Like, how is that possible? But uh, you do. Yeah, I eventually helped them, but they were like not happy with equipment back in the day. It's like a hundred feet of rope. Yeah, exactly. Hundred feet of rope uh, with a ten foot pole. What about you? <laughs> yeah. What about you, Mister Paul? What, uh, do you have a good story about a die roll? Uh, not a die roll. I had a good card draw recently. Oh, that uh, at my. Uh, Birthday party, we were playing a game that actually was another Kickstarter-based game uh, called Larceny, uh, where you basically, you draw cards that have, uh, like, an item that you're trying to run a heist on, and then you, you get different obstacles you have to overcome, and then I drew a card to overcome one of the obstacles with a trained monkey. And <laughs> so, I mean... I am not a huge fan as much as I would like to be, I guess, of the idea of um, cards against humanity. But, you know, they have, like, the Mecha Hitler card. Well, the trained monkey card is kind of like the Mecha Hitler card of Larson. <laughs> so that worked out well for me. Cool. I don't remember what I was stealing, but... The trained monkey just did my bidding can, well. <laughs> you know, have, having, having a trained monkey is always better than not having a trained monkey. Right? Yeah. Okay, Miss, Mr. Rawls, have you had a moment to think? I have. Uh, thank, okay. thank you for giving me that second. Uh, no going through my memory, I don't recall Jack Chick uh, writing anything against board games. And as research for Dark Dungeons, I read almost a hundred Chick tracks. So I'm pretty sure I stand on solid ground when I say uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, board gaming. And I do have a very memorable die roll board gaming experience. I was playing okay. Axis and Allies with some friends. It was starting to get late, uh, was about to go home, and they pulled out Axis and Allies D-Day, which is where you're simulating the D-Day landing. Uh, I was playing the Germans. They were playing the Allies. And... 
I, I didn't really have time for it. You know, oh, JR, it'll just be a quick one hour game. Like four hours later, <laughs> I am down to one German soldier. I've got like four allied tanks uh, within a few uh, hexes of me, uh, a bunch of airplanes within the hexes of me, and they have only one allied soldier within attacking distance of me on that turn, and the game ends the next turn. And if I hold this one city for that one turn, I win. And if I lose that city, I lose. Now, there's no way I could survive even one turn after this. I, all my forces have been spent. But this epic four-hour game, which each one of us is late for, is going to be uh, <laughs> crawling into work tomorrow with our eyes just bleary and bloodshot, comes down to one single die roll. And the tension on that die roll, four hours work, all depending on this one die roll of a German soldier versus an allied tank. And I rolled the dice and I swear the world went into slow motion. I I know that sounds crazy, (laughs) but it really did. I think each of us felt the die go ka-chunk, ka-chunk. And it started rolling and you could see it on the one, on the six, on the three, on the four falls it's on a six my one soldier held his ground nice an hour later that soldier is dead and admits me but (laughs) by god he he technically won the game so wow that was was my most epic die roll i can that's a good story that's a really good one well after the intro intro stuff here on the gamers tavern we're going to jump into our main topic tonight our main topic tonight is about gaming movies or tv shows and it seems like we're getting an awful lot of really well-made, really just awesome movies and shows about gaming. Uh, wouldn't you agree, Daryl? Yeah, it's kind of come a little bit suddenly, all, like in the past couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe there was a slow build I was missing, because I, I know the original gamer show came out in 2002. Mm-hmm. And that was around, the, that was a little bit, bef- a little bit after uh, Red vs. Blue for Halo fans out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was kind of this momentum and it's kind of exploded recently where you search gaming on YouTube and there is so much awesome stuff. And yeah. uh, one of the things I was kind of wondering is why all of a sudden? It's kind of scary, isn't it? It's like you want to be excited, but you're afraid it's just going to implode and end badly. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, but I'm enjoying right. the ride while I can. Exactly, well, exactly. As someone who collected comics in the early 90s, I can assure you that the bubble never pops. Um, <laughs> um, I really think the reason you're seeing so many gamer movies explode right now is a combination of technology and culture change. Uh, I went to the Rose City Comic Con recently, and uh, that was the first Portland comic convention I've been to in 20 years. And the demographics are completely different from what I remember them from 20 years ago. Um, it's a much brighter, broader audience. It's a much bigger event. Uh, so you've got more fans to support it. The other change is technological. We didn't have Kickstarter 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, we didn't have digital cameras that were worth anything. No, you can shoot a movie on your phone these days. Exactly. It's crazy. The The camera on my iPhone is literally better. Uh, than a very expensive digital camera I had 10 years ago. Uh, oh. it, 
I actually went to film school and I remember doing up a budget for a feature film clerk style where I was like, okay, I can get an SVHS camera for $3,000 and I'll need two of those and we're working out the budget. And now I can get something that is twice the resolution, so much more space, so much better to use, so much more tools available to edit with than mm-hmm. that SVHS mm-hmm. camera ever would have been for a third of the cost. Canon Vixia is about a grand. The G20. Yeah. And, and editing software as well. Right. Well, it's not just that either. It's also like distribution. I mean, there's things like mm-hmm. Twitch, Blip, and YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, imagine if YouTube had been around when Kevin Smith was making Clerks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah the whole well, process is- the French director, uh, Cocteau, once said that film will never be an art until making a movie is as cheap as writing a novel. I'm paraphrasing. I don't speak French, but that's the gist of his argument. And we're not there yet, but we sure are a lot closer than we were 10 years ago. As the cost continues to fall, it opens it up to people who would have never thought about making a movie, like me. I did have the idea for Dark Dungeons back in 1999. I did want to make it back then. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have any way to connect with people who wanted to see it made. But the situation has changed, and... (laughs) I did a Kickstarter, and I raised $25,000 for it. How could I have done that in 1999? How could I have reached uh, almost a 1,000 people who wanted to see it made? I, so, I don't sorry, know I, how I could have done that. So, sorry if it sounds like I'm laughing at you. I'm not. I'm laughing because in uh, 1999, that's when I dropped out of film school to start my film career because I can learn so much more shooting on my own than I ever could being at film school, not realizing, you know, cameras cost three to ten grand at that point in time <laughs> that were worth a damn, not including... <laughs> The film that has to go through them, mm-hmm. but my script at the time was basically clerks in a comic store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I can see why you are no longer going down that path. Stu, I want to see clerks in a comic store. That sounds awesome. Totally. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, yeah, the the whole process has been democratized, and I mean the gap between what, for lack of a better term, you know. A- amateurs and professionals use in terms of technology is the gap is growing smaller and smaller. Um, so it's just uh, opened up the whole field to right anybody really. Yeah. Yeah. And the new challenges is, is the, the fight with all the other content that's out there. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's good content, but there's also massive amounts of unrated content, you know, and just getting your voice heard in such a rushing river, um, it's a new challenge that it's kind of like this new challenge that's presented itself in the ease of everything else. It's also cutting out the gatekeepers. Uh, yes. For good and for ill. Yeah, definitely. But in terms of what kind of content is putting being put out, you don't have to have somebody say, oh, how can we market this? You just mm-hmm. put it out there and the audience and you just finds do. it. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, the the bad news about losing the gatekeepers is that the signal-to-noise ratio mm-hmm. gets obliterated because there anyone can make anything they want and put it online for someone to see. Yeah. However, I will take any day of the week that problem of, oh my god, there's too much to watch, what do I watch, versus <laughs> right. I can, with my phone, there are fucking uh, celebrities on... Uh, I can't remember what is the app that does like seven second movies from your phone. 
Oh, like Vine? Uh, Vine. Yeah, there are Vine mm-hmm. celebrities now. People who have become yeah. celebrities by taking seven-second movies on their phone. Mm-hmm. I never thought that day would come, and it's <laughs> insane. So let me ask you this question. When it comes to making great movies or making great shows that about gaming, who have been the trailblazers? Zombie Orpheus Entertainment and Dead Gentlemen. Uh, I, they're my partners, so I may be a little biased <laughs> there. Or at least Zoe is my partner. Uh, but they are. I mean, uh, they... I won't say they started this genre because I'm sure someone preceded them, but they've done so much for it. They've developed so many interesting series. Uh, they've continued to push the envelope. They were, I think, one of the biggest Kickstarters of all time for like a week. And then they got <laughs> at least displ- a week, <laughs> at least a week. And then they got displaced by uh, some celebrity or something like that. But potato they- salad. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. Uh, I can do a whole do episode on that damn potato, potato salad. salad world. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've been with uh, that gentleman since 1999, and I've definitely seen the evolution of of uh, indie filmmaking. Because when we filmed the original Gamers, like like we said, there was no Kickstarter, there was hardly a YouTube, uh, there wasn't any kind of grassroots marketing. And just over the years, we've built that fan base that uh, people can connect to, and it's just been completely wonderful seeing that happen and seeing new properties spawn from you know i hear people say wow you you guys did this and you inspired me to do this too so fantastic i am a huge fan of the dead gentleman and i think you can't talk about movies about gaming without mentioning them at least uh you know once or twice because they Mm -hmm. did have as you know jr points out a really big impact in that early days Mm um it's funny i have a Weird connection, actually, to uh, the gamers too. Honestly, uh, there's a adventure called The Mask of Death that yep. was written. Yeah, that was written by my good friend, my good friend and guy I worked with, actually, my colleague at Fantasy Flight Games, uh, Jay Little, wrote that. Cool. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it, every time I can't think about uh, gamers too without thinking about Jay. And he and I worked together for a number of years. People so. are always asking me for that module. They're they're asking if I have some. Like I have a closet full somewhere. I'm like I wish I don't <laughs> oh, have it's, any there. It's like it's it's rare. It's like on eBay. Yeah. I mean, if you want to find it, it's it's uh, pretty pricey. If I remember yeah. right, I don't, I don't think I have one. <laughs> <laughs> so so we've talked about the gamers are are definitely the trailblazers. I think I would also point out maybe some. Uh, there have been a couple of of. I want to say celebrities, guys like Patton Oswalt, who have come out and talked about gaming and, yes. you know, done some very positive things in gaming as far as, uh, you know, little short, you know, movies and things that you can see online. There's been, uh, you know, other shows. I want to th- say, like, uh, didn't sci-fi have a couple of, uh, a series that, I, I think one of them was, uh, Crodman Dune and the Flaming Sword of Fire. Oh my God. Right, right. <laughs> oh, I still remember I never watched, uh, Sword of Truth because I kept mixing up those two shows. Uh, yeah, I love, I love that series. I don't think I could watch the show. I mean, the book series, you yeah. On top of that, I think fantasy in general has just been experiencing a great big, mm-hmm. uh, renaissance ever since uh, Lord of the Rings. And you Harry know, Potter. Mm-hmm. And now it's, uh, Game of Thrones. So yeah, it's, it's kind of think, in general, you know, people's awareness of fantasy has been growing over the years. Even shows that aren't necessarily about gaming, like Community, their episode of D&D was yes. hilarious. Uh, I yeah. was just about to ask Daryl to give us a breakdown <laughs> on some of, the, some of the other shows that have, have picked up the torch. Uh, well, of course, there are the two D&D episodes of Community, which Dan Harmon, the creator of Community, has carried on the torch to... Uh, 
by the time you listen to this, I think they're doing next week is their first live stream. They're going to live stream Harmontown uh, nice. video on the internet. Basically, he plays D&D at the end of every episode, but he's basically it's him and the panel have been drinking vodka straight for the last two hours. <laughs> so it's like the most insane 15 to 20 minutes of a D&D session you've ever heard in your life. Wow. So, yeah, just piling on sins on top of sins there. But, mm -hmm. yeah, we've also got a couple of other shows. Uh, two that come immediately to mind are uh, the IT crowd overseas oh, in gosh. England. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. So good. <laughs> and the ever popular, one of the highest rated, I think it's the highest rated scripted show on television right now. Not counting reality TV because... It's not scripted at all. Because we don't count reality TV. <laughs> but uh, Big Bang Theory has also had four episodes at this point devoted to... They've had gaming all through the episodes because it's a show about nerds. But they also have had four episodes that have been talking about Dungeons & Dragons specifically or fantasy role-playing. Well, it's just great to see Chevy Chase declare how he'd won... Yes. <laughs> and it was advanced! <laughs> and it was advanced! <laughs> that was amazing. I'm pretty sure I brought this up on the previous episode we did about uh, movies that inspired gaming, but on that scene, uh, the original script had Chevy Chase being able to win the game because he played D&D &D at the Playboy Mansion with Hugh Hefner and other celebrities because he's Pierce Hawthorne of Hawthorne Wipes. And mm -hmm. it was before there was any sort of stigma attached to the game. They just played it because like anyone else would play Monopoly. Mm -hmm. If you go back further, you can see that in like E.T., The Extraterrestrial, yes. one of the most popular movies of all time. They play D&D &D in that as if it's like nothing, you know. They're um, not yeah. aware of the dangers that it represents. Yes, yes. That was what well, E.T. came out before the Jack Chick track. So mm -hmm. you can understand their their ignorance there. They were naive. They were just misguided. And technically, they were not playing Dungeons and Dragons because TSR refused the rights to them, just like Eminem refused the rights. And Reese's Pieces got them and said, "Sure, gee, that worked out oh. well for Eminem." How how about that episode of Buffy where you think they're planning oh. a demon strike, and it turns out they were playing D and D? Wow, and I forgot about I forgot oh, about that no, one. Yeah. And there's a Trogmore the Burninator reference in right. that too. Yeah, and, and Andrew was wearing the little red riding hood cloak that Buffy wore in the episode of Halloween yeah. uh, way, way back. <laughs> I love that kind of continuity. It it's was just, just like crazy. reference stacked on top of reference stacked on top yes. of reference and that one little, it was like, I think the third episode from the end, maybe. Yes. And I it think was it like, was last season. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, yeah, it was like, like a, like a 45, 60 second scene, but it was just awesome. Now, yeah, it, this is not quite tabletop roleplay, but there have been other movies about roleplaying, um, particularly when it comes to live action roleplay. I'm thinking of Role Models. And oh, yes. Very right. good film. Knights of Bad Astem, which mm -hmm. were stars right. uh, Peter Dinklage. Just saw that last weekend. Yeah. Is, is it awesome? Still haven't seen it. It's it looks a lot awesome. of fun. It's a lot of fun. And, and another trip about it personally was just I recognize so many of the extras because it was a lot of it was filmed in Spokane. And uh, I was like, hey, I know. Oh, my gosh. And like, I've worked with that person since then. And oh, my God, I had no idea. And yeah, it's it's, it's very fun. Uh, did you see the director's cut or the producer's cut? Um, You know, I think it was the producer's cut. And it really left me wondering what I was missing. Where can the director's cut be found? 
It can't <laughs> be legally. Uh, uh, the, yeah, see, the I saw has, it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, mm-hmm. the studio has only released their cut of the film, uh, which they basically, I think the movie was shot in like 2008 or something, 2009? Yeah. yeah. Something like that. And Free Game they, of Thrones, certainly. Yeah, and they sat on it for a long mm-hmm. time, and then Game of Thrones and True Blood both hit, and there are two stars from that show, uh, the guy that plays uh, Jason Stackhouse and then, of course, Peter Dinklage, mm-hmm. were both actors in that movie and then those two shows hit and so like okay we got something here let's see how we can ruin anything we had good just to make money off name recognition (laughs) (laughs) welcome to hollywood yeah i think in order to see the director's cut you have to be invited to elo and then you can get a password in order to see Uh, the director's cut uh, of knights of bad aston that's what i heard uh, I've still got four invites to Ello if anyone needs one on the panel. Know, right? By the time you hear this, I won't have any audience. I'm sorry. Everyone will be like, what's Ello? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that a boy band? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of LFO. I'm sorry. Oh. Okay. Now, you know, I want to go back a little bit further, though. We're talking about, you know, other trailblazers and guys that came before. Not all of them are really um, memorable in a good way, unfortunately, but there was uh, Kindred the Embraced. I liked a, Kindred. It was it's a very so, short-lived so fun uh, on television. Of course, it was based on the Vampire the Masquerade game from White didn't, Wolf. Didn't the lead actor die when yeah, they were filming? Yeah, they were going to. They actually had gotten greenlit for. They were about to get greenlit for a second season, and the lead actor passed away in a motorcycle accident. Terrible. But I, uh, I actually, actually kind of like Kindred the Embrace. Well, that it's, puts Daryl in a very, very <laughs> small minority of people who watch that show. I don't uh, think I ever saw it. It's, yeah, well, he didn't as much. Okay. <laughs> you, you have, okay, I'll put it this way. You have to be in the right mindset to like that movie. If you like watching trauma movies, or mm-hmm. <laughs> great, you will enjoy the sort of You're really drama that comes across. Well, you know, you know, going back a little bit further, we had um, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon back in the '80s, which actually was oh, top yeah. in its time slot for like three years in a row, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then and, there were the D&D movies. Oh, please, don't. <laughs> I, I know. I know. Actually, Wrath on the Borderlands, wasn't that one of them? Uh, you know, <laughs> the uh, the second one, Wrath of the Dragon God, I actually do really like Wrath of the Dragon God. But the first one, wow, Jeremy Irons was just <laughs> chewing that scenery. It is oh, yeah. so amazing to watch, though. And, can, and the blue can... lipstick. I, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> <laughs> there is a uh, fantastic scene uh, from the DVD, uh, the making of feature of the, the Dungeons and Dragons movie, where they're showing uh, Jeremy Irons and they yell, cut. And he just turns away with this look on his face like, get me my freaking agent. I am going <laughs> to bring his freaking neck. And you can just see the look on his face going... Uh, what did I? <laughs> I've got to say, I've actually yeah, but, listened to the commentary track that he that uh, he's on, and uh-huh. he, he and the director uh, Solomon Court, uh, Courtney Solomon are just selling this movie like it's Citizen Kane, and <laughs> it is hilarious because you can tell neither one of them are completely sober. <laughs> they're, they're altered by something, and I don't think it's the uh, I don't think it's Max' famous ale. That's causing it. <laughs> well, you know, we also have um, some more recent shows. I mean, obviously, we have we talked about the gamers quite a bit. The, there's 
two movies in that series so far. Three now, actually. Three. Three. Mm-hmm. And they're all great. And more if you include the spinoffs. Because uh, now they have uh, Gamers Natural One. And oh. Humans and Households. Yep. I have not seen either of those, so I will have to check those out. Oh, uh, by the way, I did find one uh, like 10 minutes before the show, so I didn't get a chance to actually watch it. Uh, but there's something called Role Played. I don't know okay. what I don't know what it is, but it ended up on like a top ten Ooh. best gaming on yeah, shows on YouTube. A, so yeah, there's a bunch out there. There's Standard Action and I, Gamer Chick are two just off the top of my head. And there's always it. There's no want for for watching uh, good gaming quality uh, shows out there on well, YouTube. There's, one, there's actually a film that came out last year called uh, Well, not last year, maybe year before Zero Charisma. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I thought that was actually really well done. And in, in moving a little bit more mainstream, uh, Daryl can can actually tell me more about this. But there's <laughs> there's a rumor that their the television show Leverage uh, was based on a gaming campaign that the uh, lead the lead creator uh, had played in his youth. Oh, that'd be Not awesome! So much a rumor. <laughs> uh, basically, John Rogers is a major gamer. He actually was a game designer before he his pilot for Leverage got picked up by TNT. And mm-hmm. uh, from what I understand, Leverage is based on a lot of his heist-based games he used to run, as well as his love of that sort of fiction that goes along with it. And he is just a gold... If you ever go to his website, it's a, a KF something i'll have a link in the show notes but it's based on kung fu monkey his name is his production company uh but on every episode of leverage that aired he had a q a on his website in the comments section and you can go through and read through and you can also read through uh where i uh personally got him to admit that the season finale of leverage exists solely to set up a scenario in which the officially licensed leverage games from Market Vice Productions <laughs> exists. Nice. But yeah, he is a huge gamer. He talks about that a lot on the show. But I swear to God, leverage is basically Shadowrun, except that cyberpunk and fantasy is too expensive for television. I, I keep meaning to check it out. Oh, if you watch the pilot and do not fall in love, I will okay. give you your money back for whatever okay. month subscription for the service that you watch. It's on, it's on Netflix. It's on, I believe it's on Hulu. Uh-huh. But, you know, moving into the future, we have the Deadlands TV series, which of course is about the role playing game setting Deadlands. I'm not dead yet. Fr- friend of the show fine. and former guest Shane, uh, Lacey Hensley. It was, let's say last I heard it was, it was still in pre-production. It, it at is, least it, it is still in pre-production. What's going on with that is, uh, it was, Picked up along with a couple other shows like a Halo live action show for the Xbox. Microsoft was going to launch through Xbox a television network. They decided not to do that. However, the production was a licensed production. So the production firm is still going forward with Deadlands. So mm-hmm. it may end up somewhere else, but they are still moving forward with production on that. Let's yeah, all cross I our actually, fingers because yeah. that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually uh, talking to Xbox for a while about uh, uh, doing a TV show for them before their, uh, they decided to close the, down the network. Mm. But, say uh, lovey. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, then we have our, our nonfiction bits about game. We have a lot of documentaries like Dark Dungeons. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, well, no, uh, point of clarification. I appreciate that. Dark Dungeons is, in fact, not a documentary. Uh, it is an adaptation of Dark Dungeons, the graphic novel by uh, oh. Jack Chick. Uh, okay. But he doesn't claim that to be a documentary, as far as I know. Uh, it, but it was filmed in real time, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, it was actually filmed over a uh, eight-day period with a fantastic film crew up in Seattle who eight just did days? above and beyond what wow. anyone could have expected of them. You shot yeah. that in eight days? That's amazing. Holy yep. Shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I you see, as soon as you see the movie, you'll understand if you know anything about filmmaking. You know why I'm freaking out right now. That's pretty nuts. Well, we 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 stretched every dime until it screamed. Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier, though. Uh, you know, the tools uh, are just so much better these days than they were 10 years ago. And honestly, we had a lot of people uh, willing to work because they believed in the project. It is a great project to believe in, and uh, it, it turned out fantastically. Um, but actually, about real documentaries there are some about their gaming about the there's like the dungeon masters which has uh scott corum in it there's uh dark on which is again about live action role play mm-hmm. um daryl help me there out a, isn't there a dnd documentary that's been spinning for quite oh, a while oh yeah that, I, there's, I think that's there's dead. two no there's two competing mm-hmm. ones and both of them are going to yeah. end up getting released i believe either late this year or ne- early next year but wasn't uh, there something like they were both involved with yeah first production uh, or yeah, something yeah yeah it's i'm going to try to do a too long didn't read of all the drama that's going on with that yeah, one but yeah. uh, there was a three man production team that was doing a documentary on the history of dungeons and dragons and what happened was there was a split between two of them and one of them and then the two of them went off and started to do a kickstarter for their own project and now there's a lawsuit and depending on the results of that lawsuit we're either getting one or two documentaries on the history of dungeons and dragons either late this year or early next year. Which is eerie when you think about the history of the Dungeons & Dragons license when it comes to film, (laughs) because there's Uh also been a lot of litigation regarding with that. Mm -hmm. And you can find lots about that if you read my Annie Cole News columns, because I I actually read those legal documents. I will uh, tell you, if you want a bedtime story that will (laughs) knock your ass out... (laughs) Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk some more about gaming and film. What is the most important invention in all of mankind? Beer! Longtime listeners will know how much I love good alcohol, but when it comes to craft beers, there's so much out there, it can be intimidating. What's the difference between a brown ale and an IPA? And why is there so much German, Hefeweizen, Bach, Dunkel? Where do you start? I'll tell you where. Craft Beer Club. For just $3 each, you'll get three bottles of four different beers right to your door every single month from independent craft brewers of the best quality. In just a short amount of time, you'll be snobbing it up with the hipsters talking about nose and hops. But Daryl, I can get a 12-pack cheaper at the local store, you say. But can you get specialty regional small batch beers at that price with this much selection? I didn't think so. Besides, you know you'd spend twice that much at a bar for the same beers just to try them out. So go to gamerstavern.org slash craftbeerclub and we'll start you out with your first shipment plus three free gifts. That's gamerstavern.org slash craftbeerclub and start enjoying real beer. And we're back and we've been talking about gaming, 
films, films that are about gaming culture and games themselves. Films and shows. Oh, and mm-hmm. shows, web shows, TV shows, and pretty much any sort of media that's going on. And uh, there are a few that we kind of missed and a little bit glossed over, but one I wanted to bring up is specifically, we mentioned standard action. I really mm-hmm. want to talk about this one. I love the show. It's one of the, there's kind of three genres when it comes to gaming films. The first one is, of course, movies about gaming, which The Gamers and a lot of the ones we're talking about, Dark Dungeons, is about people playing games. Uh, Night of Bad Astem, Zero Charisma. Uh, all of these are about that. Lord of Catan is about mm-hmm. people playing a game. But there's a second fictional genre that's movies that, and shows that are set in a gaming universe. And we talked about some of those. We talked a little bit about Leverage, Kindred of the Embrace, the D&D media that's around. But Standard Action is probably one of my favorites. It's set in the <laughs> world. And it's also kind of hosted by uh, the star and writer of it is former guest Joanna Gaskell. So uh, that's completely... Former guest and friend of the show. Joanna. Yes. And that's mm-hmm. completely not the reason why I'm picking out. I'm picking out because I'm a huge fan. That's why she was on the show. Mm-hmm. I just want to know, does anyone else know anything else where it's actually set in the gaming world where it's you don't see the people playing the game but you can kind of feel uh deadlands would be that way order of the stick it's not a uh, television show but it's very popular web comic i think it's quite clear that that takes place in a gaming world right. although you never yes. see the the gamers themselves uh there is clue uh that let me like a let me make a long story short. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody here. Nobody. <laughs> nobody here. Why would she threaten uh, to kill you in public? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I love think that she meant movie. she threatened in public to kill them. Oh. So, <laughs> I I absolutely love that movie. It, it's on me Netflix too. as well. So if you've never seen the Clue movie and you are you saw Battleship and were kind of reluctant. Oh, God. So, no, Clue, Clue is amazing. They've got... Let's just not talk a, about Battleship. <laughs> right. They've got a all-star comedy cast, and the timing on that is just so spot on. Oh, I love it. I always meant to have a Clue party where I'd invite people over, and, you know, any man can come as Miss Scarlet if they wanted to, and, you know, just mix up the characters, but watch that movie and, and do a little live role-playing of Clue. You know, no one dies, of course, but I love that movie so much. I call dibs on Professor Plum. Perfect. There you go. I always thought I would do Peacock just because I could rock the hell out of a Peacock costume. (laughs) I was also always partial to Colonel Mustard. Jumanji? Would that qualify? Uh, I mean, it's a fictional game. It blurs the line. Yeah, I kind of put that in the same thing as gamers, where it's like they shift between being in the game and not in the game. But But the game bled into their world, right? Yeah, it's a lot closer to the to the line we're talking about. There are a lot of blurs between these lines, but Mm -hmm. it's just something I kind of wanted to talk about. Is the there's kind of like three separate subgenres going on. There's the uh, fiction that's about gamers. There's the Mm -hmm. fiction that's about gaming set in the game world. And then there's the nonfiction about gaming. And we, of course, you've got, there's all the awesome review shows out there as well on YouTube. You've got, uh, again, Joanna Gaskell hosts Starlet Citadel, which mm-hmm. is a great review show. Um, you've got the Dice Tower, which is kind of the kings on the mountain when it comes to tabletop gaming review shows. Uh, they mm-hmm. were actually, uh, their videos were actually parodied in the IT crowd in their, uh, season finale special. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, that's right. You know, I think it um, would be a crime that we had all these great filmmakers on our podcast and we didn't ask them more about how to make a gaming movie or gaming show. Oh, that's very true. Yeah, that's Oh, sorry. Uh there there is one more board game film we didn't mention. Hmm. Coming up, it hasn't been released yet, is Ouija, the oh. movie. <laughs> That's right. Oh, After a friend is brutally killed in an accident, a group of close teenage friends must confront their most evil and demonic fears when they awaken the dark powers of an ancient spirit board by attempting to contact their friend. It's like way to sell your game, right? It's like the most negative PR you could do for yourself. (laughs) The original Ouija board was meant as a psychological tool. It was meant to address your subconscious, not to contact the worlds beyond. You know, Uh, if they're going to do movies about board games, they should go back and pick some of the really interesting, fun ones like Dream Dates. (laughs) (laughs) I want a Candyland movie. Mousetrap? You know, why not? Why why don't we have a Mousetrap movie? It was a movie oh, called Mousetrap, wow. wasn't there? Well, yeah. Mousetrap, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But the Candyland movie was, it's right now supposed to be an Adam Sandler joint. Oh my gosh. Uh, I was making a joke that's actually existing. I, oh, I forgot. There's a 10 picture deal between Hasbro yeah. and Universal. Wow. And <laughs> Battle. Yeah. Light bright. And if it makes you feel better, Battleship was number one out of oh. 10. For the record, if I'm not mistaken, Transformers 1, 2, and 3, and G.I. Joe 1 and 2 counted toward that 10-picture deal, too. God, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like no, Ridley okay. Scott was attached to the Monopoly movie, but... I want to say that, <laughs> that was a rumor, but it ne- no one ever inked any deals on that one. Yeah. But let's, let's get back to You the... know what I want to see? Hmm? I want to see Werewolf the movie. <laughs> Does everyone like bang on the table? <laughs> exactly. A, a bunch of teenagers all turning against each other. Nice. That could be cool. Let's, wait, wait, wait. Uh, one, one, I'm sorry. One more thing. I have, movie I have to mention: Dungeon Master. Uh, wow. Have that you guys is, seen that? Wow, that's back in the '80s, there, sir. That is one of the best party movies. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's got. I, uh, Bull from Night Court's the bad guy in that, isn't he? I think so, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, Richard Ball. Richard Ball's the bad guy. I bet he uh, doesn't wear blue lipstick. <laughs> it's almost as bad. <laughs> it's just one of the most joyous examples of a guy getting beamed into a video game and going through different scenarios. <laughs> like Tron. Yeah. Like Tron. Well, Tron was light years better. Right. <laughs> like don't um, mention Tron. Maybe. <laughs> um, Peter Atkinson just um, oh, yeah. did his feature, da- uh, The Devil Walks in Salem, which was based on a fiasco campaign. Really? And he's yeah. doing a sh- he's doing a series about uh, people playing games as well, as well if I remember uh-huh. right. Uh, there's the How We Roll uh, web yeah. series, which is game designers running the games that they've made. And I'm also working with him on a Chaldea, his Chaldea fantasy uh, film series, which is set in a fantasy world. And he's actually let me develop and write my character, who is a rogue druid elf. So <laughs> that's been really hard. <laughs> but yeah, good stuff still coming out of the uh, fantasy you know, gaming I, genre. If just I can just say a couple of words about Peter Atkinson. 
you know, that guy just does not get enough credit. He's just an amazing, really nice, very personable guy. Like, just if you meet yeah. him, you will always smile and shake your hand. On top of being just a superhuman being, without him, the hobby and the, the games that we love would not be nearly as cool because he really stepped in and rescued D&D. Yeah, if you ever meet him, his his joy of gaming is just so contagious and so amazing, and you can tell yeah. it's just so genuine. I think I talked uh, to him for like five seconds at Gen Con, <laughs> and I probably I made an ass of myself. But. Uh, I worked. I worked at Wizards of the Coast for quite a number of years doing web design for D and D and Magic and their publishing line and all that. And our paths never really crossed. But uh, once he got into film and went to film school like uh, two years ago, he asked Monty Cook about filming because we were doing our series Geek Seekers. And Monty's like, "Well, Jen, you know, this is my first go at filmmaking. You know, you should really talk to Jen and." So Peter and I had lunch, and we we've been friends ever since. And yeah, his his love for film and his love for gaming is just so apparent. And I'm not surprised he's making those two things cross. And uh, I find gaming to be so cinematic that and the, and the role playing and the acting involved and the storylines that I think it's a perfect dovetail fit, really. Yeah, you know, from from me to to the listeners, Peter Atkinson is a hell of a guy, and we should all we should all try and. You know, check out what he's doing because uh, he we owe him a great debt. Yeah, and he's not afraid to experiment either. You know, he's like, no, let's try this. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try this. Oh no, maybe maybe this is better. <laughs> and he's learning as he goes, and he's not, you know, he's not ashamed of that. And I really admire that quality in someone that they're they're willing to just put themselves out there and and see if it works. If it doesn't, you try something else, and you, you surround yourself with good creative people who share your ideas. You know. Speaking of that, so. If yeah, I think Jim just about, handed us a segue on a platter yeah. on that one. <laughs> so, so what are the challenges of making a gaming movie or a gaming show? Because I think that would be a good place to start. Well, it's certainly a niche market still, right? You're not going to reach mm-hmm. everyone. You know, if someone hears that it's based on a game and they don't necessarily play, they, they could immediately dismiss it. So you need to also like look at the other human elements going on within yeah. the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I gotta say, uh, when it comes to Lord of the Catan, Catan isn't really the story. The story is the couple. Catan's just kind of the catalyst. It's the MacGuffin of that story, if you will. Yeah, that was definitely like conscious decision to just use it as the thing that sparks the fire and to make sure it was always about the characters. And that mm-hmm. was also like why I didn't want it to be them playing a board game, why the iPad kind of made sense. It's like, well, I'm not going to just like shoot the iPad. I'm going to look at their faces because their faces mm-hmm. is, is where all the drama is going on. So it's all, it's always about what's happening between the characters. Yeah. I'd like to break down the question real quick. If I could, mm-hmm. um, there's a famous old quote. The problem with filmmaking as a business is that it's an art. The problem with filmmaking as an art is that it's, a business. So my question is, uh, when you say the issues that arise uh, with making films about role-playing games, do you mean the business issues or the art issues? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, they're completely different answers because 
the the problem with making a good game movie art wise is the problem with making any good movie. You got to have good characters. You got to have drama. You got to have conflict. You've got to shoot it well. You've got to have good sound. You've got to have a director who knows what he's doing. You've got all those things. The problem with making it as a business is money. You know, <laughs> uh, the, these are still very much niche market films. I mean. I'm not lying when I say the budget for Dark Dungeons is less than the catering budget for one episode of a television show. I looked it up. It really is uh, yeah, it, that that big of a difference, you know. Unless, um, you, unless you had investors outside your Kickstarter, then not that's not even a close race. The catering well, wins. Why don't we start there? Why don't we start with like getting the money? Like if somebody, if, if one of our listeners, you know, wanted to make a gaming movie or a show about gaming and they're thinking to themselves, okay, so I need money. Where where would you tell them to go to get the money? Well, you can always win the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, that was only a start for me. Uh, for those who don't know, I won the lottery for $1,000. And uh, while $1,000 was nice, it wasn't going to change my life unless I made it change my life, which is what I did. I used the uh, lottery winnings to film the Kickstarter. And from that, I obtained the money necessary to film Dark Dungeons. Which so is an awesome use of a, a lottery ticket, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I was a middle-class middle manager. $1,000 is great, but, you know, you can misplace $1,000 and, and be fine either way, honestly, if, you, if you're a middle-class guy. I was um, about to say, um, I live in rural <laughs> Texas. Uh, yeah. 1000 bucks <laughs> is almost my month's salary. <laughs> Right. Well, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I, I just mean to say that it was great, but it wasn't enough. If you want to raise money, you've got to ask yourself a couple of key questions. One, what am I doing that's different? What am I doing that uh, the gamers or Fear of Girls or any of these <laughs> other uh, popular films about gaming haven't already done? What is it about my take on gaming that is going to separate me from all those other versions then you've got to uh, find out where your audience is if you're going the kickstarter route one thing that you've got to do is research how to do a kickstarter it's not just a matter of typing up some words and putting it on there you know that's a mm -hmm. failed kickstarter you can type uh, up words and put up a creative commons licensed picture of potato salad apparently but <laughs> God, that thing is going to be quoted for years. Oh, that's that's yes, a lightning is, in a bottle. Oh. That's a lightning in a bottle. Yeah. You can't depend upon it. Yeah, you really can't rely on the lightning in, in the bottle to happen. And you really have to start your word of mouth before your Kickstarter even mm -hmm. launches. You have to build that base and connect with people way before it starts. Because if you start out the gate with the, the timer going already on your Kickstarter... Odds are you're not going to make that money on time because it, it takes so long for the word to get out. Even if someone is, if you really believe in what you're doing and you just know it's a surefire hit, you can't just sit back and rely on that and for people to spread the word for you. You have to do a lot of work and be really patient and diligent before you even launch that Kickstarter. And you got to have an idea that resonates with your target audience. I mean, if you're looking mm -hmm. for gamers, and that's probably what we're talking about here, we're making a movie mm -hmm. gaming then you're going to want to pick something like, you know, for example, um, the gamers' movies are about some of the challenges that gamers experience when they're playing the games or the uh, the social dynamics that occur in a gaming group. Those are all things that, you know, gamers have gone through so they, they can 
they can res- you know resonate with that. Or like Dark Dungeons is is definitely a part of almost every serious gamer at one point or another has heard of the the Jack Chick Tract. So that became you know a very uh, resonant theme. And then Lord of Catan, well, one of the most popular board games in the world is uh, Settlers of Catan. So I think anybody who's played and enjoyed that, which is probably most of our listeners, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's why they're interested in it. And you know, I think that would be the interesting thing for me. The the challenge, I think, for me would be find a way to take the idea and then make it to where it's really attractive to the, the target audience. And I think Ross is hitting a good point right now, especially referencing uh, the Lord of Catan specifically as a movie. And as well as Dark Dungeons and The Gamers and Journey Quest and all the other shows we've talked about, there is also a fine line you kind of have to walk between do I serve the gamers or do I serve a general audience? Because if you watch Lord mm-hmm. of Catan, you can, you can never have played a game of Lord of Catan, uh, Settlers of Catan. Sorry, the two have become that ingrained in my brain at this point. <laughs> nice. But the uh, plan is complete. It has worked, yes. <laughs> but, you <can't... laughs> but you can never have played a game of Settlers of Catan and still resonate with the story of the movie. However, if you have played it, you will get a lot more of the references that are going on. You'll understand when uh when uh, Amy's character is trying to explain to Fran's character the rules and he's just not getting it, you can understand it's presented flat out. Okay, the context of the movie is that she's not quite explaining the rules in the best way she can, but as someone who plays the game, you can tell from her explanation of the rules, yeah, I could explain this so much better. <laughs> and that's what, and, but the entire story, the entire drama comes from the characters, the humanity, the same place everything else does. And those are universal themes. It's also just creating Venn diagrams and <laughs> getting as many intersections as you can, yeah. not just limiting yourself to this is my audience, but thinking of all the other ways you can appeal to people and get them interested and hook them. Yeah, like, for example, the Gamers 3 has a really great bit where it talks not only about, uh, you know, the, the whole card game side, but also about hyper-competitiveness and clicks. You know, it has a lot of things to say about a lot of different topics. It's, it's deep. It's not just a, you know, one-note type of film. And I think that makes it a, a, a really great film. Yeah, I think it would be a big mistake to just sit back on the genre and say, well, I'm, I'm writing a, a film about gaming. Therefore, all the gamers will spend their money on it. It's like, no, that's not true. <laughs> I think Stu's really right and very clever about making it about the human element because we are the humans who play the games. And that's what we're going to connect with. At the end of the day, it's always about the human condition, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A- and I'd like to throw in there that you really want to make sure your film comes from a place of love honestly here. People, not just gamers, but people everywhere can tell when they're being talked down to. They can tell Mm -hmm. when uh, they're being laughed at instead of laughed with. And I Mm -hmm. think most people love to be laughed with. Most people love a good joke uh, about their group if it's done with love. If it's done with, hey, look at the freak show, your audience can tell. Some right, people yeah. might say uh, you're describing the difference between community and uh, Big Bang Theory right there. I wasn't going to name names, but uh, yeah, Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I'm naming that name right here. That does not come from a place <laughs> um, of love. And that. some people might disagree with that assessment who are fans <laughs> of the Big Bang Theory. Uh, however, some people could also very well see how that could be the interpretation 
watching The Big Bang Theory. Well, I'll I'll go on record and say <laughs> I think that that's definitely a difference between. Uh, I can I can definitely see that's difference in perception of it. I I don't agree. I really love The Big Bang Theory. It's a show that I actually really like, and I still haven't watched this week's episode, so I'm kind of. On one hand, I'm loving the discussion. On the other hand, I'm kind of watching the clock. How much longer is in the episode so I can watch the new episode? But I am a defender of the Big Bang Theory, but I'm also at the same time saying, yes, I understand that even though it's written by, you, you can tell that there's a lot of stuff that's in there. A lot of the writers are one of us. Well, there there are a lot of references in there, are there? But this episode is not about defending one or the other because right. they're having to appeal to a mass audience. A lot of the jokes and the interpretation of the show, and again, it's a three camera sitcom genre. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll just, we'll just have to agree to disagree on that. But let's say so. Okay. Let's say we've got a, a script with a great idea, and it is done with love, and we've got our money either through winning the lottery or doing a good Kickstarter on that idea. And now we need to do what production? Is that the next step? Find a producer that you can trust. <laughs> you can who, trust. <laughs> who, who will get shit done? My producer on Lord of Catan was the third producer that I uh, was ostensibly working with on the project that before it uh, was somebody that I was like, okay, this person's going to go the distance. And then from there, yeah, you, you build the team because you can't do any, everything yourself. Yeah, you okay. have to wear a lot of hats in indie film, but you certainly can't do it on your own. Yeah. So you need a producer, um, and he's your get stuff done guy. Um, who else are we going to need? Well, you know, just being an actor, I got to say, <laughs> good <laughs> casting is really good. And if you happen to find some, you know, I think I think casting is important. I think actors are And Jen are Page is for hire, correct? <laughs> I totally am. And if you need, you know, and it doesn't hurt. To have someone known in the gaming community already to help amplify that signal. And here's know? a question like, I'm Jen. going to ask Jen that every independent filmmaker out there should really learn how to ask. Jen, are yeah. you union? You know, I try not to be. I dodge SAG as much as possible because I like the opportunities that indie film presents. Um so far, I've managed to uh, skirt under the wire, but the more I keep saying that, the more I'm going to get in trouble. There's but, some uh, there's leg breakers on their way to you right now. I think. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, I want to mm-hmm. explain to the, our audience who may not know anything about film production what was going mm-hmm. on there. Uh, there are various trade unions that are involved in filmmaking, and you will see these a lot, especially if you're trying to work in Southern California. Uh-huh. And if you have one person on your film of any of the unions, you are now a union film. That means right. you are now subject to union rates. So when Jen was talking about wearing many hats, you can't do that on a no. union film. Well, you because that's crossing, crossing crafts and everything else. And unions, I'm not going to talk down on unions are a no. great thing. Unions, yeah. I am that's a supporter of unions. They're practically a status symbol. You know, there are people who look down on me if I, because I say I'm not SAG, and it's like, no, it's a choice, you know? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity out there, and I don't want to limit myself because it's necessarily a SAG production, you know, or not a SAG production. I would have loved Dark Dungeons to be a SAG production. I honestly would have, but we simply didn't have the budget for it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we were to go SAG, we would have been 
Jeez, I, I want to say double or triple our our budget. No, yeah, no, no, honestly. no, no. That's an underestimate. You would have been mm. probably ten times your budget. Fair enough. Fair enough. You, you're probably right. So when it comes uh, so, to acting, you're going to need to get amateurs. Not amateurs per se. Uh, there are a lot oh. of actors who are out there who oh, are yeah, not skilled plenty. actors. Yeah, well, I'm using amateur in the very specific sense of. So no, not used killed. to not getting paid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if the the listeners want uh, advice, one of the things that you can read in like a, a dozen different. So you're making your first film books, uh, which is what I did uh, <laughs> when I started making Dark Dungeons movies for dummies. Hey, uh, uh, no, I will books. actually I will actually suggest a really really great book for learning how to make a movie is everything I learned about filmmaking I learned from the Toxic Avenger. By Lloyd Kaufman and James Gunn, which I think James Gunn kind of knows what he's talking about, considering he has the number one movie in the world for the past two months now. Uh, I do want to hear what JR's was, though. Sorry. I would like to recommend the film How to Make a Feature Film for Under 25K uh, by James Savico. I read that book when I raised $25,533. Uh, for Dark Dungeon, so it was an obvious fit for me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one of the advice he gives is uh, pay people in uh, promotions. Uh, say you have a person who's always been assistant pr- producer. Well, guess what? You get a producer on this movie. You get the credit. I get you for free or less than your normal costs. Everyone's happy. We should have a link to that book in our sh- in the show notes. Yeah, we're gonna have a link to those and a lot more. I have a small library of how to. I went to film school back in the '90s, so I've got a small library of how to make filmmaking. Oh, and <laughs> books, uh, take so. take a step back in the process from that. Uh, writing a script. I really love the book uh, "Save the Cat" by Blake Snyder. <laughs> oh no, yeah. no, but no, not, no, no. Uh, it is a. My only problem with that book, it is an amazing book for understanding the craft of telling a story. Right. My only issue with the book is that so many filmmakers right now are using it as a, you have to have all these elements and not as a guideline. It's the same way that Joseph Joseph Campbell's uh, Hero's Journey has been misunderstood. No, no, no. It's more like it makes you think about uh, plot points and elements that you might not necessarily have thought about or fleshed out in in people think oh i have a good story that's all i need and it's not necessarily to just you know the the beat points and things like that um certainly you would never want to take anything and go this is the winning formula this works every time and i think that's bullshit what do you think it is. is there a book that you would recommend uh the elements of screenwriting yes uh, yeah <laughs> and uh and there's a lot of bullshit in it and a lot of filler, but at the end of the day, story by Robert McKee, he, it still has some very good points about how to craft a story. And, uh, you can take two pages from, uh, The Art of Dramatic Writing by Lejos Egri, uh, that just tell you, like, here's a character breakdown and just look at that. That's pretty helpful. Um, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta think. Like, if we're talking about making a movie, and we're talking about, you know, using gamers, and we're talking about, you know, maybe getting some uh, non-sag actors and things of that nature, couldn't you also like reach out to the cosplay community and find some guys who are really good at making costumes and get them involved? Couldn't oh, you? Oh yeah, totally. That when is, 
I'm sorry, I was going to say, that is a huge challenge you're going to come mm -hmm. across when you're making a movie that's about gaming, especially mm -hmm. if you're going to have in-game sequences, is most games are period pieces. Mm -hmm. And period pieces, that means anything that's not modern day, are expensive as hell. Yeah. So if you can reach out to the cosplay community, it doesn't matter what genre, whether or it's Red far Fair. future or far past. Ren Fair, cosplayers, anyone like that. They already have the awesome costumes. Yeah. Especially about, if you're doing a drama, right? What about reenactors? Like it, the guys who reenact the, you know, the worst. It, it depends. Some of them are so serious. I don't think they would want to be in, uh, you know, necessarily a comedy or a game about, you know, a film about gaming, that sort of thing. It's like, this is real to me. And it's like, okay, you know. <laughs> Well, okay, obviously depending on, you know, your particular mm -hmm. local, but, uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just think, I was just throwing out some ideas out there. I thought you guys might have some, uh, some thoughts on this. Cause I'm sure oh. it's not as simple as going out into the woods with a camera, right? There's like sound yeah. issues and lighting issues and things of that nature. You can know. I, can I throw this out here? Write your script for the budget you have, not the budget you want. Um, ah, good advice. When you're writing that script, keep in mind, uh, how are you, you going to film it? Yeah, yeah, you just mentioned the woods. Which is easier to film outside or inside? It's got to be inside, right? Yeah, it's depends on where way, you are. way, way easier to film inside. Well, um, inside you control the lighting, you control the weather, mm -hmm. the airplanes, <laughs> all that good stuff. Uh, <laughs> so if you truck, yeah, the highway over the road with the guy blaring out Tejano music yeah. at 120 uh, decibels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I live in Texas, so that's a problem around here. <laughs> If you watch Dark Dungeons, you'll look and you'll notice that 99% of that movie takes place indoors. And uh, that was a script change uh, that was done by me to make it cheaper. We had a number of outdoor scenes. Uh, there was uh, one scene in the very beginning where they were supposed to be in the quad, uh, going to all these different booths. Uh, but that would have required building booths, filming outside in December, uh, and trying to make it look like September. Uh, it would have required extras. So we cut that and replaced it with a newsreel, uh, which we uh, oh, got from public domain footage. That was uh, so sweet, by the way. Thank you. And and that saved us probably like four or five grand if we would have tried to actually have filmed it outside uh, with all those extras, with all that uh, extra days of shooting, all that other stuff. So keep in mind the budget you have and... Uh, right to that. Isn't there a lot of public domain stuff out there for people that may be surprising amounts of it? A public there domain and so creative commons. Domain stuff. Yes, yes. A simple Google search will, will reveal so much stuff you can use. You know, uh, if you ever watch the movie Ed Wood, uh, he talks <laughs> about uh, his love of stock footage. Well, you too can be Ed Wood because you have far more stock footage than he ever had access to. Um, Stu, do you have any advice on these uh, topics? Yeah, I was going to ask. I haven't seen Lord of Catan yet, but I, I, from the trailer, it looks like a lot of it is filmed in the same location, and that is always smart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, the script just lent it, itself to that. I mean, I had been writing, looking for a number of, uh, or I had been looking for a movie to film, and I had a number of scripts that I'd written, and they were all just too big for where I wanted to, to start from. And then, you know, they either were period, which means, okay, yep, lots of uh, costumes, lots of sets, lots of money, lots of production design, or they required lots of visual effects. Uh, and then in 
the end, it was the story about two people in a room that uh, uh, I ended up filming. And um, you can still find ways also to make anything as limited as it is uh, interesting mm-hmm. to look at. You know, limitations usually are what creates, you know, the most inventive uh, solutions. Star and- Wars! <clears throat> <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, and then, I mean, we ended up with a, a huge VFX sequence in the movie, which we wouldn't have had that if it weren't for the Kickstarter, but, you know, it leaves you room to grow if you start small. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say we've done our production work, we've actually filmed it, we've, you know, used all these tricks you guys have mentioned, and now we need to edit, right? That's the next step? Well, there's one other thing I want to bring up that we kind of glossed over a little bit. Um, number one... If you're wanting to pick a camera, pick the best camera you can afford. However, lighting will make mm. a crappy camera look good. Yeah. Uh, there's Sound one thing is more... incredibly important. Yes. Because yeah. if uh, people can't hear anything, the production value goes down so quickly. Sound was number two I was going to bring up. Yeah. What? Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> exactly what Jen said there. Uh, people will put up with poor camera work. There's not a person on earth who will put up with poor sound yeah there was an old story that i heard in film school back in the days um uh, but it's about the little old lady in the back row the little old lady in the back row may not know enough about production to know that the sound was bad the lighting was bad the camera angles were bad she'll blame the plot the story or anything else that she can think of because she just didn't like the movie Mm-hmm. Which has come to, in colloquial terms, uh, I heard her introduced to me as the bitch in the back row. <laughs> and I'm not a fan necessarily of that term anymore, but I, I've got to say, it's something you have to keep in mind. If you don't pay attention to every aspect of the production and get everything as high quality as possible, then you're going to see where the faults are, even if the audience doesn't notice them consciously. Right. They're like still... They might not pick up on that exact reason why, but they'll sense it, you know? Exactly. If your uh, sound does kind of suck, like <laughs> ours, did, ours did on the first day of shooting, if you have a good sound mixer, he can fix it. He can't... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of... It's not... It, they can't do... They can't do complete miracles, but they can do pretty, pretty close to uh, mm-hmm. the miraculous. Um, yeah, and, and takes time too. Yeah, and uh, with a with the lighting, also, I mean, you know, look at your uh, the reel of whoever you're looking at for a DP, but make sure you meet with them and you can vibe and you can talk about scenes. And I mean, I met with three potential DPs for Lord of Catan. Both of the other options had great reels. They seemed like total, you know, they would have done a great job, but it was the guy that, like, I could sit down with and I would say something and he would be like, oh, what about this? And we would start vibing. Uh, nice. Once you, that that was the guy that I was like, oh, I have to go with him. It's, it's a relationship, you know? So, Stu, can you tell me what a DP is, just out of curiosity? Director of photography. <laughs> yes. Uh, the cinematographer guy that handles the camera, lights mm-hmm. the scene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, 
I think it's kind of a, a misplaced or forgotten about, uh, but very important job. A lot of people assume that the director is the guy who is is the DP, and a lot of times it's not tr- necessarily true. They work together to get those visuals on on screen and really get that cinematography. But uh, I mean, a lot of directors do want to be hands on like that. But if if you you have the want, you know, director of photography will definitely help translate that the, the director's vision. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of the director's vision, you know, let's say again, we've got this all down on film. Now we need to edit it, right? That's the next step. Yep. That's usually the next step. And a film can live or die in the editing room. Yeah. The, the first cut of Star Wars was considered crap. When it was uh, first edited, uh, they took a look at it and they were like, this is never going to work. This is never going to work. George Lucas's wife was an editor and she did her own cut on it. And the universal opinion is that she saved it, that completely transformed that film with her different edit. And there's all sorts of uh, useful tricks you can use in the editing room. Uh, in Star Wars episode four, when uh, the Tusken Raider uh, holds up his staff and goes, and he's going up and down and up mm-hmm. and down. He's not actually going up and down. Uh, what happened was uh, the editor reversed the fit footage, sped it forward, reversed the fo- footage and put it forward. So the Tuscan Raider was going up and down, whereas before he was just holding it up. But that little change of going it up and down made it seem much more menacing. And that's the kind of little tiny tricks that you need in your editing process uh, to make your film truly thrive. The story is, is there told some- in the editing bo- booth. Is there some fairly uh, affordable editing software that people could uh, look into? Please tell that me. Is, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, it used to just be Final Cut Pro, right? Which was just not very uh, intuitive and very intimidating. And $1,000. Mm-hmm. And now, um, you know, even iMovie, you can do short films. And I've edited uh, Kickstarter videos in, in iMovie. But um, Premiere is great. It's very intuitive, sort of drag and drop. And, and uh, uh, you can rent Premiere Pro, by the way. Just just yeah, so try it out. It's uh, twenty nine ninety five uh, per month right now. Mm-hmm. Right, so uh, that should be affordable. If you can afford to make a movie, you can afford to rent Premiere Pro. If you're going after any significant amount of cash, people are going to want to know that you can do something with it, and they're going to judge your video, and they're going to judge how your video is edited. They're going to judge how your video is shot. They're going to judge how your video sounds. If you don't have forty dollars for that, I unless you're making a frickin' potato salad, I don't think mm-hmm. you'll raise serious money. It sounds like we need to uh to rent this program. <laughs> That's Damn it. it. Yeah. I will say this for audio editing, there is an amazing tool that is probably why I've gotten spoiled. Audacity yep. is a completely free program, free to use, free to license, free to use for commercial use, small download, fast, complex, powerful. I would put Audacity up against professional audio software that I've got. Wow. That's what we edit through Audacity. That's where the majority of the podcasts are actually edited through. And it is a great, a great program that's absolutely free to use. Let's, uh, let's um, ask another question of our guests while we've got him here. Okay. Um, so we've edited the film. We now need to get the word out. And I'm going to actually target this one. Uh, J.R. Rawls. If I want to get the word out about my great movie, which is a documentary about gaming, um, what, what are some ways I can do about that? Uh, before you hit that Kickstarter launch button, you should have yourself a spreadsheet. 
And on that spreadsheet, you should have 50 names and 50 email addresses. 50 is the minimum. I recommend more than that. Uh, but don't even think about hitting that launch button until you have 50 on this spreadsheet. And what the spreadsheet is going to be is it's going to be people who create content, people who post on blogs, uh, people who have a whole lot of followers, uh, people who write articles for uh, geek websites or, or whatever your Kickstarter website is. Basically, you should be asking yourself, <coughs> who... <laughs> <laughs> so who is going to be writing about me? Who would be interested in this? Who is the type of person who is conceivable? They go, wow, what a cool idea. I want to tell more people about this. Yeah, and I need should... content, right? Yes. They need content, too. So you're doing them a favor in a way. Yeah, exactly. Working together, working together. Yeah. Yes, you are doing mm -hmm. us a favor. Please email me. <laughs> You know what I mean. <laughs> that oh, no, came I, I, way no, too arrogant. Well, no, no, I am on that side. I write the gaming yes. tabletop column for any cool news. Right, so, right. I, and yeah. you need content, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So he should be at the top of your spreadsheet. And then beneath him should be 49 other names and 49 mm -hmm. other email addresses or uh, web pages you can submit your form to. And the second or uh, even before it goes live, uh, you send it out to all those people to let them know and try to get the word to spread as fast as possible that way. That's a really great idea. I, I, I had not ever you know, heard it quite put that way, but that was a really yeah. great idea. Yeah, you don't want to spend your time scrambling. Um, you want that game plan buttoned down before before you do anything. Because most Kickstarters time. are successful before they ever hit, hit the launch button. Dude, do you have anything to add about the getting the word out? No, that, that that's really uh, that's advice I wish I had uh, <laughs> when I when I did my Kickstarter. Uh, there are public relations firms that some of them are affordable that will do that for you. But uh, no, his, his way is better. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am like writing that down as we speak right now. <laughs> Fifty names spreadsheet. That's a great idea. Okay, you know we're getting. It's what I did for Dark Dungeons, honestly, and uh, oh, you can't uh, the success of that. Yeah, I, I, I feel like in some ways I am your listeners. I had zero uh, background in the film industry. I didn't have any uh, contacts. All I had was an idea, and uh, to be fair, the rights to something that geeks were interested, and that was a huge help for me. But I really went after it. I, I just had this overwhelming drive to make it work. And that's important, too. I don't want to discount the emotional impact uh, yeah. and emotional fortitude that you need to make this work. You've got to be your own cheerleader. You've got to be out there going, this is the most awesome idea ever. The world needs to see this. I will show the, it to the world and they will love me for it. <laughs> Go at it with that attitude. Know you can do it and have a clear cut plan of how you can do it. That's great. I, I was just about to ask um, for your final thoughts on on uh, making a, a great gaming movie or show, and that I think pretty much nails it. <laughs> you have to, Jen. Do you, you have, have some to, final thoughts on uh, making a movie? Um, just to kind of piggyback on that, it's you know you got to believe in what you're doing. You have to be critical enough to really hone it and not just put blinders on to the fact that oh you love it. You know, that doesn't mean everything, everyone's going to love it. Doesn't mean that your, your uh, story is even going to come across right. Because if it's generated in your head, you got to make sure that it's out there properly and 
And you're right. If you have the drive and you want to get it done, there are avenues and channels to tap into. People have done this before. They have been successful at it. And it's possible. Super cool. Mr. Paul. Yeah. Uh, just be insane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that too. Yeah, There's, go after it. It certainly doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, go after it uh, with uh, just no holds barred, burn down anything in your path. Do not be dissuaded. But at the same time, uh, find people you can depend on and you can uh, collaborate with and trust. Uh, it's not easy. You will find people that you cannot collaborate with, that you cannot trust, that you cannot depend on. Try and cut them loose as quickly as possible. Yeah, and trust your gut. Yeah, just um, make your thing. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're the dreamers, you know? We, we're not satisfied with just the day job and our latte. We're the ones out there believing in, in this, whatever it is that we want to do. And it's, it's your responsibility to make it happen. No one else is going to do it for you. Awesome. So if I wanted to know more, Mr. Rawls, about Dark Dungeons and find out where that is on the interwebs, where would I go? Go to www.darkdungeonsthemovie.com. Uh, you can find all about Dark Dungeons, uh, which is on sale in digital format for only $4.99. And it also, uh, you can purchase all the extras, including five commentary tracks, multiple subtitles, two making of documentaries, all for the low price of $2.50. We also have DVDs on sale for $9.99 plus shipping and handling. And it's also an absolutely amazing film, and I recommend everyone watch it. Yeah, two oh, thumbs and, up for the uh, Gamers Tavern crew. And we recently uh, are now on Good Old Games, uh, so you can find us there under their movie section, where we just obtained uh, the number one uh, most selling movie on Good Old Games. So quite happy Sweet. about that. What is yeah. your uh, next thing up in in the in the pipeline? If you can tell us about it. The next thing in the pipeline is not ready to be uh, publicly disclosed yet, uh, okay. but I can tell you I am going to uh, be launching a Kickstarter in October, and uh, you'll have the full details of it a few days before it goes live because you are actually on uh, my new spreadsheet of names. Because <laughs> <laughs> someone uh, was left off the original spreadsheet of names. <laughs> Speaking of changing the subject, and I will uh, be, I will be treating the world of esports with all the seriousness that I treated the anti RPG crusade. Wow. Okay, that's wow. exciting. Um, yeah. I wonder if that's about StarCraft. Hmm, that sounds cool. All right, uh, Jen Page, what's yes. the latest thing you've got going, and where can we find out more about you? Oh, geez. Um, well, you can find me on Facebook. I have a fan page. Facebook.com slash the Jen page. And I'm always on there talking about all the many, many, many variety of things that uh, catch my interest. Uh, there's new episodes of Chopsaki Boom that are premiering right now. That's a, a series that I'm in, a kung fu martial arts comedy. And I play a gamer girl named Paige. Uh, so it's a very hard stretch, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very fun show uh, that People can definitely check out, but if they want to know on any given day what is going on in my crazy brain, uh, they can they can find me on Facebook. Fantastic. And I want to say also, um, for anybody who 
runs into Jen at Gen Con. Um, she is just super cool and approachable. And I mean, like, literally, I she, am. <laughs> she, she, uh, I don't know if you remember this. It was actually last year, uh, not this year, but you, you sat down at my table in the food court. You were like, can I just like sit down here for a minute? Yes. I was like, you I do remember, remember that. that. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. do remember that. That is so me. <laughs> yeah, and she just sat down and we, we chatted for a little bit and, um, then I had to go somewhere, but it was, it was super cool that, you know, she was one of the guests of honor and she was like, just, Oh, I'm just going to no, drop by. I, I'm such a people person and I really love connecting, uh, with people and just everyone's story is fascinating to me. And, uh, I want to be everyone's friend. I really do. Um, I just really care about everyone's story and mine is no bigger than anyone else's. And just to have the opportunity to connect with so many people is just, it just makes me so happy. So yeah, anytime anyone can approach me online or at a convention, that is what I'm there for. Well, I, I just wanted to say I, I, I'm a big fan and uh, <laughs> Thank always, you. probably always will be a big fan. I hope so. <laughs> Mr. Paul, uh, tell us uh, what is happening after Lord of Catan, or is there more Lord of Catan on the way? Um, uh, I'm not planning on another installment of the Lord of Catan, although uh, there has been a question about that, and I could imagine a world in which Amy Acker, uh, we, we pick up her character uh, for a completely different like genre after the film, but... Uh, <laughs> But we'll, we'll see how she feels about that. But, uh. <laughs> Lord of the Multiverse. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm working on, uh, pre-production right now <laughs> for a, uh, samurai film, uh, <laughs> called Monkey vs. Demon. Nice. And, uh, it is kind of a big melange of Kurosawa movies and Takashi Miike movies and, um, or early video game inspirations like Mega Man 2, Fire Emblem, Wolfenstein. Nice. Uh, it, uh, the, it, the number of like references to different things in the script is kind of absurd, but, uh, uh, it is looking like I'm going to first launch a crowdfunding thing to, uh, shoot kind of a, a trailer. And then from that launch a three part, uh, series. Uh, for the film itself, telling the story of Monkey and his battle against the evil trying to <laughs> usurp the power of the Buddha and the world. Wow. Uh, wow. Where can we find out more about you and your projects? www.hamstervalhalla.com. And you can uh, pre-order The Lord of Catan there. Fantastic. You know, and I'm just going to say this, if anybody ever wants to make a movie about Gladius... They should talk to Stu and they should talk to me because we would be awesome. <laughs> Isn't that owned by Disney now? No. No, because Maybe. Disney art, uh, the if way LucasArts Arts was, well, was part of the deal, right? I don't know. Lucas no Arts idea. shut Couldn't down go. before Disney bought it out. Mm-hmm. And nope. There's... Nope. Nope. LucasArts shut really down. Let's just say I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, uh, mm. giant legal quagmire ahead. <laughs> <laughs> right, more soon. But uh, yeah, Gladius I should look into. Yes. <laughs> okay, and uh, I want to say on the behalf of Daryl and myself, uh, we're very, very grateful that all three of you guys came on uh, and talked to us today about the the things that we love, which is gaming and movies and gaming and TV shows. And we're, I think, both of us are just kind of in awe that people like you guys can take these things and turn them into a great visual story 
in such in such an amazing way because we all have. I know that I have just nothing but respect for you guys, and I, I can't wait to see the next thing that you do because it's it's we need this. I think our hobby, our industry, we need some kind of representation. We need people who are gonna you know film a great story and and do it. Uh, with respect to the stuff that, that we like to do. And I think all three of you have done that in, in your own way. So thank you very much for coming on the show. We're both very great. Thank, thank you, you so much. It, it's an Good honor job. to be here. And, you know, if I can do it, anyone can do it. So I really want your <laughs> listeners to know that if they want it, they really need to pursue it. Thank you very much, JR. And thank you, Jen. And thank you, Stu. Mm-hmm. You guys are great. And uh, this has been the Gamers Tavern. And until next time... May all your hits be crits. Have you been looking for a dark fantasy RPG setting? Are you interested in seeing a new take on the action horror genre? Then you should check out Accursed. Accursed is a setting for the Savage Worlds RPG created by me, Ross Watson, and my good friends Jason Marker and John Dunn. It is a world where the heroes are monsters who fight for redemption against the witches who have conquered their land. To find out more about Accursed, search for Accursed on DriveThroughRPG.com. Accursed is now on sale there and in many other fine retailers for gaming PDFs. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy Accursed.